Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabo's most tattooed work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Subordination 6.1. So, at the end of 5.6, the last time we saw Blake, he collapsed into the snow. And he's been there for at least one one whole interlude and probably a few, <laughs> maybe half an hour. Um, he's at still least. there when the knights yeah. eventually arrive to pick him up, which is great. Yeah, well, like, he's only a couple of metres away from the door, right? Mm. Like, he's literally, he's walked about two steps away from the door... That's the only thing keeping him away from the erasure demon, and he's just <laughs> taking a nap, basically. Like it's it's, it's pretty bold. Uh, you can see why the the knights sort of hesitate before one of them eventually comes and picks him up. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. He he's you know he's he's in bad enough shape that even if it came out, he wouldn't really be able to do anything. Um, so I guess it's lucky that it doesn't. Uh, actually, I I like how this chapter um, it really shows us. How how agonizing it is for Blake to stand up. Like it takes a, a paragraph to describe him going from his like rolling over, getting onto his hands and knees, then getting onto his knees, and then finally standing up. And it's a great way to get us back into the mindset of, oh yeah, Blake is really fucked up since we <laughs> haven't seen him for a while. Yeah, it makes it seem so monumental when he yeah. he goes through like every little part of the motion. It's like you know, put my hand here. Get my leg, like it's all stuff you usually <laughs> do without thinking, and, yeah. and it makes it it makes it so much like dramatic is not the word I'm looking for, but it's like it's so much more epic, um, which and it's just such a basic task that yeah you're right it's just you're immediately like oh Blake is, is so not prepared for anything yeah yeah <laughs> he he's really not um which is fun because we know that his next task is to go and and have this confrontation with conquest um yep. So the knights have come to pick him up. Uh, Pris comes over to him. Um, Pris is the black guard of the knights, their designated liar. And Blake realizes it was her who was the uh, the witness uh, back back in the police station. And he thanks her for her <laughs> alternate reality lying that she doesn't remember. <laughs> yes, and I have a few things that I want to say here. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, the, the the one we got to open with is Blake's need to thank her for something she didn't do. Um, mm. I like this because you could argue both ways. Like it's silly to argue, uh, it's, it's silly to thank her for something that she didn't do. But mm. it's also naive to ignore that um, and not consider the extenuating circumstances that stopped her from doing it. Like you know, all things considered, she would have done it. So she doesn't necessarily deserve thanks for it. But she, mm. like, it's something to keep in mind for Blake that uh, for Blake that she is the sort of person who would do it. Um, but of course, she this is did- Blake, so he still feels the need to thank her for it. She did do it, right? It just got under. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, I'm on Blake's side about um, this, you know. Yeah, so I don't know if I'd thank her, but if I were Blake, I'd be making a mental note that she's actually willing to do that sort of thing. And we see later that you know this, she is kind of willing to go out of her way for him a bit. But uh, mm. the other, the other thing I wanted to bring up here is as as she sort of comes up to Blake, uh, he gives this description of her, which is uh, she's not old, but not young either. She looked like the sort who would have been a really cute girl next door, but some lines had reached her eyes. Harsh. And this sort of solidified... Yeah, it, it is a bit unnecessarily harsh, but it sort of solidified a pattern because I've noticed a few of these things where I th- feel like Blake has been unnecessarily harsh on people. And going back and skimming some of them, it seems like he... When he's physically describing new people, he seems to focus on signs of age. Like, he's always talking about people having wrinkles or 
or signs of, of age. Uh, and when he described the uh, astrologer uh, at the start of Arc 4, that was one where he kind of noticed that there were some of those, but n- not mm. many. And then, of course, we learned that she's, you know, a lot older than that. Um, yep. But it, it's clearly, like, an important thing to him. And I think this actually does line up with what we know of him as a character and, and how he views the future and how lucky he is to have even made it this far. Like, the the fact that the sign of how far someone has made it in life is, is something that is kind of important to Blake. Uh, totally adds up. and. Mm. Yeah, it comes back to what we saw on his date with Tiffany, uh, where they talked about sort of how mature they were for their age and, and all that. Like, I think mm. this is something that, that does matter to Blake. Yeah, maybe maybe the right way to interpret it, um, and this is just kind of freestyling off the top of my head here, but it feels to me that Blake cares a lot about what you've achieved uh, and uh, potentially yeah. that in respect to how old you are. Like, yeah, uh, I think Blake... Something that really is is a kind of sore point for Blake is that he hasn't really achieved much for where he feels like he should be in his life, right? Um, yeah, yeah, he's 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 gone on thought tangents about that a few times. Yeah, so I suspect that his his um, obsession isn't the right word, but his his noticing age really is uh, is a way of him kind of quantifying. Oh, what should what do I feel like you should have done by this point in your life? Um, a judgment which for the knights is probably not going to be <laughs> too favorable. Yeah, I think it works because obviously, like you know, you could compare this to the other Walbo protagonists that we're familiar with who focus on other aspects of people uh, when they're when they're describing them physically. Um, and it, I think it it kind of works. Like Walbo, this is one of his strengths: is he uh, really gives you this sense of you're in another person's head uh, and this is Blake's unique thing is that this is something that matters to him and it makes sense that that's sort of what he focuses on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I I, I want to call out something which I really like about this, which is they use the word blackguard to mean, you know, designated liar, but it's, it's such a, it's such a like archaic word. It just sounds so out of place. I really, I really love it. Yeah, I agree. I actually looked it up, and it's a genuine, like, old-timey word for someone who's got no honor and no virtue, which is kind of hilarious, <laughs> and it's, it's a nice twist on that definition. Um, I also like uh, how Pris is like, oh, most big groups have a blackguard. Um, I have to wonder whether the others call them that. Like, it fits so well with the Knights of the Basements theme that mm. I I wonder if other groups have other terms for it, uh, but... Yeah, it's interesting that this is being brought up considering how the chapter ends. This is this is why I'm a little optimistic about the ending of this chapter is the concept <laughs> of blackguards. Um, um, well, but I, I, we'll I also, get to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love this bit where Pris is introduced to Rose as well, like because uh, as a muggle she can't hear uh, Rose, and and so they're sort of like, oh, there's this girl in the mirror, and Pris like goes to look at Blake's reflection, and she she just bends over and she goes, oh, huh. And then she squints some more and she's like, huh. And <laughs> it, it's just, it, it's a hilarious little insightful moment into what people see when they see Blake's reflection. Like, uh, you know, it calls back to that time on the subway when the guy thought Blake was like a girl and then he was sort of staring yeah. oddly at the reflection later. Like, uh, uh, you know, seeing the way that even muggles who are aware of magic can't really process some of what they're seeing uh, is great. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I'm just going to save some time and say that all the banter between Blake and the Knights and, and Pris and, and all that is great. And they're, they're so friendly and not overly friendly. And and so <laughs> we'll call out some specific ones, but that's my blanket statement. So I didn't have to pull yeah. out the whole chapter. The Knights are pretty great, aren't they? Um, 
And yeah. they, so they're here to, to pick up Blake. He's summoned them uh, and, and Nick and the rest of the Knights agree to drive Blake around. But he isn't, he isn't quite sure where he should be going at this point. Yeah, they all basically just get in the car based on the assumption that they're just going to want to get the fuck away from this demon and not figure out where they're going <laughs> uh, yeah. on the way. Um, yeah, fair. And, and, and something I ha- we haven't mentioned up until now, but uh, has happened already and, and continues to happen throughout the chapter is Blake needs assistance to do anything. Like he's leaning on people yeah. for support. He, people are helping him get in and out <sighs> of the car. And so they have to touch him to do that. And he hates it, which you'd expect. Yeah. But he's too tired to really do anything about it. And like intellectually on some level, he like he is grateful for the assistance. Um, but he does things like he calls people helping him get into the car unsolicited. Uh, which just has like a negative connotation. Like, there's all these little negative flares on the help he's getting because it does upset him on on some level that people are touching him. <laughs> but I think he yeah. he's he's too tired and and knows deep down that like it's coming from a good place, so he doesn't really fight it. So uh, there's a there's a quote I really want to pull out here as well, which I really like. Um, I'm just gonna read it out. They're talking about conquest, and Blake says he's not the c word. I said he's a c word. Well put, Nick said from the driver's seat. Um, <laughs> This is a great joke. It's 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 so funny, and it's got so many layers. Uh, you know, they they don't want to use Conquest's name because Blake doesn't want to uh, ping him. Um, they they're also kind of trying to communicate that Conquest is just an incarnation, not the incarnation, and and then obviously he is a, a real c word as well. Um, yeah, it's it just works so well. I love it. Yeah, it, you're right. It's clever and accurate. It's it's a great little joke uh, by Wildbo as well as Blake. Yeah, and then they just keep calling him C-Word the rest of the chapter, <laughs> which also kind of uh, maybe adds some levity that might not be uh, justified. Yeah, well, and and necessary for sure. Um, and we get some juicy lore on the, the origins of incarnations, so they don't just seem to sprout in and of themselves, but um, mm-hmm. people, it seems to mostly come from when people Im- try to imbue themselves with a force, so some idiot must have been trying to give themselves the power of conquest, but they, they fucked up and went too far and, yeah, like, did it, you know, they went full Diabolist and, and yeah. kind of got overcome with conquest and that's how he becomes sort of an embodiment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I like how they, they kind of start talking about this stuff that we obviously saw happen uh, in the most recent interlude. Um, it's, a fun, it's a fun way of kind of tying everything back together. Um, yeah. And, in fact, the thing that it... The fact that it sort of comes up in more detail here and it's just making sure we're clear on it makes me think it, it's it's a factor going forward and, and we'll get into that even more. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so Blake and Rose go back to planning uh, and they have a, a lot less antagonistic car trip than their most previous car trip together. Yeah, they're much um, more on the same page this time. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, we get some more details again on, on incarnations and how they use their human hosts, I guess, as a power battery to bend the rules of their existence. You know, like, so mm. conquest can be less conquesty by using up the power of his humans. And so that, you know, that's a way to drain his batteries. And then obviously he'll just try to recharge them. And I worry for whoever he's going to try and subsume next. Like, uh, Fell's yeah. an obvious on-hand option. But knowing conquest, he'd like to go for somebody who would put up a bit more of a fight. Uh, yeah. We'll see how that and goes. maybe... This is an interesting thought I just had uh, where, and it comes up a bit later as well, where they talk about how Conquest wants to 
conquer things, right? Obviously. Um, yeah. But it's kind of occurred to me, uh, and, and you know, back back in arc two or three, I think it was, um, Blake has the fight with the fairy, the, the familiar, right? And there's yeah, a point that where they've defeated two, it. Uh, there's a point where they've defeated it and and they're talking about, like, conquering it and, and Blake... Uh, uh, and Mrs. Lewis says, oh, well, Blake's already conquered it physically and claimed that prize. So if you want to claim another prize, Rose, you have to conquer it some other way. Oh, and it, yeah. And we're, we're now getting to the point where we see that Blake is, you know, I don't think it's unfair to use the word defeated, right? He's, <laughs> he's very physically defeated. Um, so I wonder if that's going to come into his relationship with Conquest. Maybe, like, Conquest can't conquer him that way or need to do it some other way or... I don't know. It's just a kind of worrying thought, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I've, I'm very interested after this whole conquest story arc is is over, I want to go back to that conversation and try and pluck all the uh, the obvious in hindsight foreshadowing that might exist in, in that conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, in this car trip, Rose is talking about <laughs> kind of throwing around the idea, I would say, uh, the idea of actively summoning the demons that they know so that they can use them before... Conquest forces them to use them uncontrolled. Um, mm. And this is a bad plan. <laughs> yes. And I'm glad Blake points out that this is such a slippery slope. Um, this is the exact kind of, like, uh, rationalisation of actions that Blake has always been done, uh, been doing, and it's nice to see that Rose also can can do some terrible rationalisation. Yeah. Well, I love this bit where she's like, oh, it's it's much cleaner to summon demons if we just don't make mistakes. Like, oh, oh, okay. Like, oh, we just won't do that then. Um, like, I, I don't know if you remember this, but at the place where, where we met, like we used to work together, there was a day where yeah. our boss was frustrated because uh, all of us were working on fixing bugs in the software instead of new features. And our boss was just sort of like, can, can you stop introducing more bugs? And it was sort of that mm. moment where everyone was like, oh, geez, why didn't we think of that? Like, we've been putting in all these bugs yeah. on purpose. And yeah, let's just stop <laughs> making these mistakes, yeah. It just, it just instantly made me think of that. It's, it's a weird anecdote to bring up, but, uh, like, it, it's <laughs> A very just... specific reference that only you and I will get, Elliot. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it was, it, it's really just one of those moments where it's just like, oh, well, we just won't do it wrong. Like, oh, you know, good idea. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's such a ridiculous statement. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, to... In saying that, as we see, there's not really any better plans that come up. Like it's not a good plan, but at least at least she's putting something out there. Yeah, it's true. They they do come up with a plan later, but uh, it's it's pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um. Also, just sort of, as we're going over this, like this debate between Blake and Rose about uh, like diabolism and whether they're going down slippery slopes or whether you can risk it for the right thing. I'm really appreciating that we got Black Lamb's blood when we did because. Now, when they're having these arguments, it's less about like, oh, it's Blake and Rose just bickering, and and, and you know, I agree with Blake overall. I agree with Rose. Like, it'd be easy to fall into thinking one of them's right and one of them's wrong. Whereas Black Lamb's Blood has reframed this ongoing argument as something that is yeah. like discipline wide, and it's it's like yeah. a much broader moral question. It's not just confined to Blake and Rose's current situation, which I think it would be easy to think, and I probably did think that before seeing Black Lamb's Blood. So I'm really glad we got that when we did, and and we're seeing that this these arguments they're having about this is something that fits into the world uh, in a grander sense. Yeah, I, I think we talk about the interludes a lot from the perspective of world building, right? Which obviously is something that we both really love about them, but they're such a good narrative device 
for kind of telegraphing themes as well, because they do this exact thing, right? Black Lamb's Blood calls out, oh, hey, these are things that are relevant when you're a diabolist, and we get to see, we get to kind of be watching for those things in Blake and Rose's relationship. Um, it's a great it's a great natural way of telegraphing themes without Blake or Rose having to be so overt about be, saying things like, hey, we've got to be careful about doing this. You know, because it's like this, and we could do this, and here's the context, um, which would be kind of unnatural and also not really in character. Yeah, they're not just used for straight world building, but also for kind of like theme or thematic world building, um, which, which is yeah. why they work so well. And and also, yeah, you know, they just give us new insights into characters that we've seen but want to see more of. Yeah, totally. Um, so eventually they come up with a plan. Blake Blake has an idea for a plan, which basically boils down to... Lock conquest in his room with the bad stuff and hope that it gets him. Yeah, I mean, like you know, Blake's not really in a position to do active plans, so their plan is to figure out how to make it so conquest can't get out and hope that Pose wins, but not too much. <laughs> it's it's a really yeah. poorly defined plan, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we get we get a bit of payoff on how shit this plan is uh, later in the chapter. Yeah, you really get the idea that they don't really understand. Even they don't know if this plan works, what does it actually look like? They they don't even really know what they want. Their, their plan is just kind of like, let's hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I also, I really, it, it's very cool that this is the exact same plan that, that we saw at the end of last interlude. We saw Rose spilling her beans about, right? Um, it, it has this weird tension of them coming up with this plan that we know they're going to come up with and that we know conquest is about to find out it it gives it a really weird vibe that i quite like yeah well it's this it's this little bit of dramatic irony sitting over the whole planning session because it's like i i sat here as i was reading it being like oh i I wanted rose to get kidnapped because it's like Mm. any of the ideas or plans they're talking about before she gets taken are ones that conquest is going to know about so there's like this weird dramatic irony where every time good ideas come up here you're like oh no 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 not now because <laughs> like rose is still here it's it's this it's this weird yeah. unintuitive uh dramatic irony it's a, and an extra layer of tension um on on top of the whole thing uh and like it's kind of good like it, it works out a little bit because as we just said when she does get taken is when they were still bouncing around with their really shit house idea uh so at yeah. least that's the only one that she can she can give to conquest yeah uh so you know rose suddenly vanishes and it's like oh where could she have gone um and and something that i like is nick points out that rose you know has probably told conquest what they're planning uh and and Blake doesn't react just because their plan is so shit. He really doesn't care if Conquest knows it or not. Yeah, uh, and, and there's this great bit where Nick is also like, "Should we try and save Rose?" And Evans just immediately like, "Yes, uh, we, we, we should try." And and Blake more realistically is like, "No, no." Um, yeah, but I, I love I love Evans' little hero moment, and and we'll talk about another Evan moment <laughs> later. But uh yeah i i really love throughout this whole plan up until rose vanished everyone was just kind of on the same page and helping like there was very little bickering or, or like unnecessary disagreements i think there were a handful but really for the most part everyone was suggesting stuff that they could do to help like even even pris and nick but yeah. uh rose and evan as well were talking about their plans like with the locks and stuff it was just everyone was really cooperating very well uh and it was great to see yeah, um, and I guess it retroactively we can probably see that this is seeding the idea of having helpful practitioners around is a good thing. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, given how this ends, like uh, 
cooperation and teamwork is going to be a big thing uh, coming up in this arc, I imagine. Uh, and it was nice to yep. see us kick off with a strong example of it in the car, even if things don't really work out directly uh, that well from it. Yeah. Uh, so so Rose is taken and Blake kind of realizes he doesn't have enough tools to, to deal with this. Um, he can <laughs> nope. maybe find some magical tomes, but that won't do enough. Uh, and he's not really ready for a domain or an implement. Um, and so Nick drops him back home and, and Nick promises to come back in now to check on him and give him a lift somewhere else. And Blake just kind of tries to recharge a bit. Yeah. And so then obviously we get this bit where Evan points out that the best way to drain conquest is probably to have him go against his nature, uh, which Blake mm. sort of makes a mental note of. And and I was thinking the same thing as, as Evan kind of spelled that out for us. Um and this is also pointed out to us uh, right before we learn about Jeremy and oh, sorry, we're reminded about Jeremy and his his deal for yeah. safety. And I went back and read the details of that deal with Jeremy. And basically, Jeremy has to sit on the sidelines. But of course, Conquest doesn't really go for the details, and so there was nothing stopping like Jeremy's associates from acting against Conquest. But Conquest is still promised that he would protect or not harm mm. them, not protect. But you know, the Duchamps can act against Conquest right now, but he can't harm them according to their agreement uh mm. or i guess if conquest back breaks the agreement then uh jeremy can no longer stay on the sidelines but uh, like theoretically if you could get the duchamps to stand up to conquest he wouldn't be able to just immediately conquer them according to the rules so that'd drain him in in some ways so that seems like a good plan to me like that's what i'd be trying to do Mm, it is a good plan. Um, we talked last arc about Fel's mother, and we thought that she was a Duchamp. Uh, it would be a lot more helpful if it w- if she was. Um, yeah, well, of- <laughs> we got a comment in uh, on Reddit from... Uh, uh, actually, let me look this up, because this person deserves credit. Um, so this user basically just pointed out to us that Fel appears to be male, and the Duchamps cannot have male children, so she's probably not a Duchamp, and... Uh, that was a really good point. I felt like an idiot for not even considering it. Uh, so that was user, uh, oh man, uh, Begomico. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, um, so th- thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that comment because that was yes. that was a, a point that we just didn't even consider and, and deserves some consideration. <laughs> I, I do wish that she was a Duchamp though. It seems like with this knowledge in mind, it would be helpful. Um, yeah, I, there's there's potentially a ways that she was around if she got expelled from the coven or something. I don't know, but uh, it's definitely mm. like it, it's definitely a factor when considering that w- we did assume she was a Duchamp. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I want to call out Nick is just so friendly. Like he he promises to come back in an hour or two to check on Blake and and give Blake a lift. It's like he really is just a really swell kind of guy. Yeah, but there's there's interesting like conditions to that as well because obviously like you know he he takes a more negative tone with with rose in particular but also blake a little bit when they're discussing summoning demons which is a very fair reaction to that um whereas pris uh who's only seeing blake and not rose mind you uh Mm. is immediately much more willing to help than even nick seems okay with like uh, when she immediately Mm. volunteers to go and sort of spread the word that this might be a good time to take on conquest uh the wait nick is like what are you doing and and so uh you know i can't help but notice that pris the one who's not not in contact with rose is the one who's immediately more trusting um <laughs> what are you but, what are you trying to say there <laughs> maybe uh when she was going around talking about summoning demons she lost some goodwill well uh, yeah fair. <laughs> uh, I think that's but, fair yes uh but it's uh 
It, yeah, like Nick, Nick and Pris are, are, are both trying to be so helpful, but I really like that Nick is a realistic amount of helpful. Like he's kind of okay driving mm. Blake, and that shows some endearment there. But you know, he has lines and he's not crossing them. Yeah, and he kind of explicitly makes sure that Blake knows where those lines are, so Blake doesn't expect him to fight conquest. Uh, yeah, because he's not going to. And I, I also think Blake's quite fair about what he expects of them. Uh, like you know, he does kind of keep saying to them, you know, you don't have to go out of your way like i yep. just i'm just putting it out there uh yeah he, yeah anyway but he uh he's he sort of he he starts to leave the car uh, they drop him off at his house and uh he has this big internal spiel about how he's not like a planner and like he wants rose backs because he doesn't like planning more than five minutes ahead basically uh <laughs> and i just love this no. because she's been gone for five minutes and he already misses her and the way she balances his his skills and opinions. But wait, we saw yeah. this last time, and then the second she's back, she's already grinding all of his gears with yeah. by disagreeing with him. Like, if that's not family, I don't know what is. Like, missing them while they're gone, and then five minutes after you're back with them, you're like, oh, these people irritate me. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember why I don't live with you anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Uh, uh, you know, I, there's a beat earlier about how he think. I think Rose reminds Blake of himself at one point, and and I think this just adds up with that so well. Is oh, where's Rose? And the second she's around, oh god, Rose. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, Blake is dropped off at his house, and he heads inside, and he sees Alexis is waiting for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, we'll, we'll get to that soon. But you've totally skipped this cool bit where he goes in, and Evan finds <laughs> out Blake has a motorbike, and he just thinks that's yeah. super rad. Uh, and then and, and Blake kind of loves it too. Like it's the cutest thing ever. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's followed up afterwards by this kind of depressing bit where they discuss what family means. Um. I, I guess much much like we just did. Um. And you know, Evans yeah. obviously still a bit bummed out about losing his parents. Yeah. Kind of like losing the ability to communicate with his parents. But uh, it's yeah, it's 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 a super cute moment. And then a kind of uh uh you know very what's the word i'm looking for kind of depressing but also hopeful moment yeah i think the the thing the thing i like about this uh the motorbike scene is um the more evan finds out about blake's life the more they kind of feel like a good match for each other <laughs> right yeah um, i think it, it could happen that, that that evan would become disillusioned with blake but that doesn't seem to really be happening because they just they just are a good pair <laughs> yeah um, yeah and and it's so realistic that an eight-year-old be like you have a motorbike that's so cool <laughs> I, you have like you have an apartment yeah. with all your art friends like that's so cool um yeah yeah like they're just they're just so on on uh the same wavelength about all that stuff it's great yeah um so blake uh heads in and and starts talking to alexis and alexis right off the bat is 100 percent sure that blake is innocent right about yeah. about the about murdering evan um she's so clearly i mean she's still trying to figure it out right she she's figuring out oh is it is it police brutality is blake being framed but but the possibility that blake is guilty is just not a possibility for her um it's so nice yeah i think i needed this almost as much as blake um like the duncan had obviously heavily implied that his friends had probably been enchanted to doubt him uh and mm. it's good to see that that isn't actually the case and and part of me even wants to believe that someone tried to enchant them, but the bonds were too strong for that to have been worth it, so they didn't bother. But uh, <laughs> you know, that that might be that might be a bit too hard hard of the cardsy. But uh, yeah, it's, um, it, it was just it was just so nice uh, f- to see that. Yeah, you're right. There was just no no disillusionment. Like Alexis was just like, oh well, no, like what happened? Because 
there's no way you murdered a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we've already touched on this, but it is kind of hitting the beat of like, yeah, it's good to have friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so speaking of friends, this, this kind of, Blake has this realization, oh, it's good to have friends, and then kind of clicks that he, he might have an untapped resource here. Um, and Alexis and Joel, who has now joined them, he, he kind of pull, calls Evan over and starts talking to them reveals hey this is this bird here this is evan the kid that i was accused of murdering um and the, the chapter ends with him kind of getting them to call in everybody to to assemble the avengers as it were <laughs> um uh, that's like a topical reference right there um hey, thanks <laughs> uh yeah i mean and and so this ending does really enforce as you said the theme of this chapter is that blake has nothing in terms of tools or or assets but he has people willing to help him whereas conquest you know is contrastly has all these tools and assets and existing power but everyone who works with him fucking hates him yeah Uh, i mean conquest's whole thing is that he gathers tools at the expense of connections with people right yeah and and so i think uh, that's sort of the framing device of uh, as we're going forward into this main conflict uh conflict yeah i mean i am really worried for blake's allies going into that um you know i mean the, the arc is called <laughs> subordination right yeah so. uh it's uh it's worrying to see all these hours like a bunch of noobs when it comes to magic um the knights have been dobbed in by rose so like i mean i'm assuming they're already shit out of luck like that mm. there's no way this ends well for them I don't, I don't think but uh yeah i mean i hope he calls Paige in as well because Paige, like you know t- talking about bringing alexis and joel in like there's a way for them to get out of this unscathed, really, whereas Paige is already kind of on the hook, so he may as well give yeah. her a head start, right? Like, what uh, has he got to lose by, by getting someone like Paige on board, I guess? Sure, sure. I suppose. Uh, we'll see. I, I just hope he does that. I don't know why I keep <laughs> saying... I, I feel like I've been saying this the whole story, but I keep wanting Paige <laughs> to come back, and I don't Paige, know why. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is just a really hype ending for the chapter, right? Like, mm. we've we've kind of been hitting the beats of Blake and his friends, and this is hinting, hey, they're actually going to become a part of, of the actual main story now. Let's do it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Blake made a point earlier in the chapter about saying he had no power available for even, like, a simple rune. Um, mm. And so I'm hoping here that all he's done is found, like, a new source. Like, I'm hoping he's just setting these guys up as, as blackguards, not... Uh, uh, practitioners because <laughs> like, mm. that seems to have way more risks whereas i don't know maybe he has some way of just leeching some power from his friends like he's basically gonna tell them about magic and then be like is it cool if i just like borrow your essence to power myself <laughs> up for a bit? Your blood <laughs> yeah pretty much uh like uh, i honestly i don't know like knowing what i know about the world i think it wouldn't be unfair of blake to say hey rather than me teaching you magic is it cool if i just suck some of your power because like overall that's actually probably a better deal for them <laughs> yeah um uh, yeah, but yeah but I, i'm i'm excited to see blake with a proper crew that that has his back uh i, I, hope, yeah. I hope that's something that lasts more than two chapters or whatever yeah well we'll see i suppose um that's the end of our discussion on 6.1 though uh, and so you know this is the start of a new arc we want to hear where people had he- people's heads were at uh so we yeah. decided to pull out some comments from five years ago when this chapter first came out um I want to start with my comment, which I really liked, uh, mm. which was a, a kind of set of comments uh, by Sir Fuente, Born of Prayers, but the main one was by somebody called uh, Sheeman3773, um, and, and this is just a little reminder of how much time it's been since the story <laughs> started. Um, 
So back in 4.1, when Blake had his house party, it had been a week since Molly's death. Uh, he came back home a week after leaving. And and then since then, it's been the three days of, of trials, which means this entire story has taken place in <laughs> 10 days. Uh, yes, uh, we had half of 1.1 that was pre a four month time skip. Yeah. And then everything since then has been 10 days, which is just, you know, it's been about four months of our lives to get through it. Yeah. Uh, and it still felt hell. It still felt balls to the wall. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so you kind of I, like I definitely keep forgetting how little time is actually <laughs> passing in Blake's life, but you know it's justifiable how fucked up he is at this point, right? Like, yeah, it's been ten days. He's he's been fighting things nonstop for ten days. Yeah, I mean, because it's an interesting facet of of the serialized format that I, I I don't think I've seen discussions on as much, which is. The, the concept of time progression. Like, I think time skips kind of work the same uh, mm. in, in, in like, serialized format as they do, just say, in a novel. But definitely in a novel, if you've got this concept of everything happening in, in 10 days like this, where it's, like, you know, two novels worth of stuff, it, I feel like it'd be a bit easier because you're reading it at your own pace and you're probably going to read it quicker. Um, yeah. It, it, like, most people tend to sort of marathon these things and, and that would help with that sense. Like, I imagine just... Uh, for all those of you who chewed through packs, like it, it probably didn't feel as strange to you as it did to me that this has only been ten days. Because if you read it in ten days, it would probably be a bit more uh, like it'd still seem crazy, but it'd line up a bit better with your actual experience. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, it's interesting because I guess that's why you kind of forget that it's that it's only been ten days, right? Because like you said, we've been re- reading this story for months now. Yeah. Um, so it's like it, it it has an interesting effect on that sort of hectic pacing uh, yeah. when when it's uh, sort of not not disjointed but you know disconnected like that yeah, uh, yeah. it still and, feel, and it still feels think, crazy fast paced yeah I wonder then which which experience is better I mean you know I I obviously when I first read it I read it at breakneck pace um, <laughs> I probably read it in ten days uh, <laughs> and. And now I'm obviously going through it a lot more slowly, and I do feel like I'm I'm absorbing a lot more of the atmosphere and and kind of getting into it. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting. It's the same story, but two very different ways to experience it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's it's kind of an impossible question to answer. Which one's better? Unless you like had access to Duncan Behame and his ability to repeat time. Um, <laughs> yeah. True. You could get him to like benchmark it, but yeah. Yeah. Um. So I've pulled out a uh, a comment by Psycho Gecko, which is which is a pretty cool name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so Psycho Gecko just sort of mentions that when Fell at the end of Five Point X pointed out to Rose that it was just easier if she gives in, and then she did. Mm. Uh, that was sort of, that moment was actually kind of recontextualized in this chapter uh, because by just giving in, Conquest didn't really have to conquer her in the same way. And so mm. it may have actually taken a bit of power away from him. Uh, is Psycho Gecko's read on this, which I loved. Like that, that didn't occur to me, but I actually love it as one of Fell's little resistances. Like it's that way where he's helping Conquest, but he's actually doing mm. it in a way that doesn't serve Conquest long term. Like it's one of these little resistances. Yeah, that's true. I didn't, I didn't think about that. Um, but you're right that it's it doesn't give him an opportunity to conquer you. So presumably that's that's. Uh, not great for him um mm. and, and this is sort of what they were talking about right before rose got taken was like how conquest is powered by conquering things so yeah I, I i'd like to give rose the benefit of the doubt and assume that her just 
instantly going along with what Fel said was her sort of cluing into the fact that he was actually giving her a helpful hint, not uh, not sort of jumping in on, on conquering her with conquest. Mm. Yeah, true. Yeah, I like that. That's a good little recontextualization. Uh, so yeah, yeah I, I, I thought that was a great little observation. Yeah, cool. Um, that brings us to the end of our discussion of, uh, of, of uh, 6.1, the start of this new chapter. Um, but don't worry, we'll be back soon to talk about uh, subordination. I keep wanting to call it subjugation. Subordination <laughs> 6.2. Um, if you want to leave us your thoughts on uh, 6.1, you can do so by heading to our discussion threads, which will be linked in the episode description down below. Hmm. And if you want to learn more about DP Impact, uh, as well as all the other great shows on the Doof Media Network, such as We've Got Ward, which has been heading into uh, some some intense chapters of Ward, uh, you can head to doofmedia.com. Yes, actually, definitely check out We've Got Ward while you're there. Uh, they, they just released part three, talking about um, the, the latest arc, and man, it's good stuff. I mean, <laughs> I've really been enjoying the, the uh, detective dynamic at the moment. Won't go into it too much in case people haven't read it yet, but... Some great, some great, some great episodes, some great goofs in there as well. So definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, uh, and and, and definitely this is an arc where having something like We've Got Ward as a companion really, really shines uh, yeah. to, to help you keep track of everything that's going on. Uh, it's it's great. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you want to support uh, our show or the other shows on the Doof Network, you can do that uh, by heading to Patreon. Uh, the Doof Media Network is a Patreon-backed network, which means that we can only really do the things we do because of our patrons. So head on over to patreon.com slash doofmedia if you want to help us keep making cool content. Hmm. And uh, in a similar fashion, Wildbo is a Patreon-backed author. Uh, so heading to <laughs> patreon.com slash Wildbo keeps him authoring, which is, yep. uh, I think, what we all want. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um yeah uh apart from that uh we will be back on monday the first of what's what's next month jesus may May. um (laughs) to talk about uh 6.2 so we'll catch you then see ya